You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, on The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Tonight, I have an array of guests covering some fairly diverse topics that I hope you will enjoy. First up, I'll be talking to Barbecue Joe's Brandon O'Connor about catering at home for that special occasion. Food writer and journalist Dee Laffin will be on the phone to share her experience of the food scene in Berlin. Chef David O'Donnell from the Ardalon Hotel has a delicious orange cake recipe for us. And I'll be talking to Chef Connor McClelland from Rayanne House in in Northern Ireland about the Titanic menu that they have there. To get in touch with me here on the show, please feel free to drop me an email s.noonan at live.ie or you can send me a tweet at Queen of Org, short for Queen of Organisation. Now, communion and confirmation season is upon us and last year Brandon O'Connor from Barbecue Joe's had great advice about catering for special occasions like these at home. Let's have a reminder about what he said. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. If you have an occasion approaching such as a confirmation or communion, you may be considering having the celebrations at home and doing the catering yourself. Brendan O'Connor from the award-winning Barbecue Joe's is here with lots of useful info about how to go about it. How are you this evening, Brendan? Good, Sharon. Thanks. Just have a few sniffles, so if you can excuse those, we're all good. (laughs) No problem. It's the time of year. What is the key to making it stress-free if you're doing catering at home? It's really all down to planning and thinking things out in advance. Um, I guess a lot of people leave it till the last minute and they're in a panic two days before a communion. Well, I think the approach to take is maybe as you're watching your cookery shows and you see something you like or there's an idea, a recipe maybe in the back of the newspaper that you like, you know, make a note of it. And uh, maybe two weeks before you can start trying some of the dishes out in your family. Um, it's it's It can be quite stressful to cook for a number of people. You know, many families today now, they're going to invite... Um, you know their extended family on the day of a communion and you could have 20 adults 10 12 15 children so to cater for that many people does need a little bit of pre-planning so the first thing is make sure you're comfortable with what you're cooking so in the weeks leading up to communion time take one of those ideas that you'd like to be doing on a communion day practice it use it as a sunday dinner or make it as a nice lunch for somebody on a saturday so that way you're comfortable making what it is you saw in a recipe um the other thing is look at your kitchen you know make your kitchen do the hard work for you so if you've got a large oven or if you have one of the ranges that has two ovens in it you know you can use that to maybe one oven can be slow cooking or cooking a joint of meat which you could use for your main course and in the other oven you could be making little you know puff pastry tartlets or something like that that you could use as a starter um if you have a slow cooker many people have the bottom use them for a short period of time and they're in the back of a press somewhere dig it out you could put a nice stew into it you could have it put on before you go to the church and when you come back there's a stew ready and all you have to do is is make up a few other accompaniments so it's about thinking about the things in your kitchen using them wisely and taking the stress off yourself because if you're entertaining guests on the communion day you want to be able to enjoy it as well yourself and get out there and, and mix so it's it's I suppose it's the mentality that caterers and people in restaurants and hotels use mise en place is the, is a key phrase in, in the hotel business um, and, and apply it at home you know the night before there's a lot of things you can get done I think it's important as well whenever you talk about the numbers also the profile of the, the people in those numbers because a buffet is very well or or finger food is all very well but if you have older people there like grandmothers and grandfathers they might not be able to be standing up and eating off a plate like they they may need or want to sit down at a table with their plate and a knife and fork so how do you go about making sure that your menu and what you're putting on is suitable for a cross-section of people well no one's going to know your own family better than yourself so i find what keep it simple keep it classy you know and you don't have to reinvent the wheel when you're you have if you cook what you know and you do it with a little twist it gives it a little bit of an edge or makes it a little bit different makes it a little bit special i think that's what your guests are going to remember a lot of people panic and cook two or three different things for a main course they're going to have a 
piece of salmon and a piece of beef and then they're going oh that person wants chicken and they'll cook a whole chicken and, and, and they're in a panic I think if you stick to you know think about it and stick to the one thing maybe that can cater to all tastes I think using a loin of pork is a fantastic you know a fantastic main course option it keeps most people happy um, if you have somebody that has a dietary requirement like a vegetarian or you know somebody has an intolerance to something you can make a little dish on the side for them the night before as well but I think stick to one main course item you know and just think it through it's something you know that maybe look we're out of Christmas now but turkey is something that could be you know quite nice again once we get around to the summertime it's something that's underutilized at that time of the year and everyone knows how to cook a really good turkey you've had a, a, a practice run at Christmas time as it were and that's something that most people will eat it's very few people people would be nicely surprised by having turkey maybe in the summertime but um, I think stick to one item um, you know your family so you know what's a no-no and a, a nice you know, a Sunday roast style for your main course and you can fill it in then with some nice appetizers simple things that you can get done in advance tartines or little bruschettas are very nice and easy to do if you take a nice quality bread from a local baker you know just cut them grill them on the top and the bottom you can have that done in advance make up a little spread you can either buy boursin cheese in in any of the supermarkets which is a nice soft creamy cheese from france or you can get some ricotta and mix in some chives that'd be the base take your little toasties as it were put on some of the ricotta or the boursin and top it with something simple a slice of prosciutto and you have a very nice simple and elegant starter so you know that matched up with your main course that you're you know a tried and trusted main course that you know and that you can put together very simply and you can get a little fancy again for dessert but keep it very simple if that little those little tartines there's only three ingredients in it it's the bread it's the cheese and a nice topping um or if you want to vary it up a little bit you can make some with prosciutto and you could buy some asparagus and perhaps use asparagus on others if you had some vegetarians and you also have the option there to make those quite child friendly also given that it's if it's a communion or confirmation it's all about the child really so oh, absolutely they want to have yeah. their favorite foods there yeah. we find as well from our experience the children are very excited on their communion day especially when there's a party are a gathering back at the house their cousins are going to be there or their friends or so one of the things i find it works quite well is have them have their meal first because they're just going to be you're going to have to nearly bolt them down to the ground they're going to be buzzing around especially if you have a nice day everyone's outside playing around running around so if you plan to do something for the children first and get them taken care of, then the adults can have that stress-free uh, meal time, and that's where a little finger, you know, a kind of a finger food starter could work quite well for the adults. Because if it's something that you've prepared in advance, you can almost immediately have the adults be mingling around, having something to eat, while you spend a few minutes concentrating on taking care of the kids couple of options you can find somebody that's responsible and mature and give them the barbecue in the backyard and you can get the kids some nice you know nice quality handmade burgers from your local butcher or some nice quality sausages you could also buy some really good quality pizza bases which are available now in some of the supermarkets there's an Irish company the artisan pizza company make really nice pizza bases use uh, tinned tomatoes make your own pizza sauce use some of the fresh mozzarella you can buy the mozzarella in the balls not the grated stuff and you can make a very healthy pizza for, for children so they're having something healthy but they're having something they love um, and very simple to do and they could make their own pizzas as long as they don't have the, the good oh, outfits absolutely. on absolutely yeah I mean like again the night before you could prepare a little tray and have all the toppings ready so you could take that mozzarella chop it up if you want to have some fresh basil or something you could have it chopped up you could get um, some salami from the supermarket have that sliced you know a pineapple on pizzas is great a couple of bits of ham mushrooms a little tin of sweet corn you've six things there each kid then can customise their own pizza and everyone's a winner and each kid might feel important at oh look at my pizza and swap slices but you know there's yeah it's yeah it's so true you can totally entertain the children by having them get involved in the food and if you're not as lucky as Karen Coakley from Kenmare Foodies to have your own pizza oven in the garden you're just putting those into the oven for a very short space of time absolutely those 
those pizza bases that I mentioned are quite thin and they cook very quickly. Key to cook a nice pizza in your oven, really hot, 200 degrees, 220. Um, I find a great thing to have in your oven for pizzas is a pizza stone. You pick them up in TK Maxx for under a tenner um, and you'll get almost an authentic style, you know, wood-fired pizza out of the from cooking on a pizza stone the thing is well to remember if you are using a base that you've bought don't put too much on top of the pizza less is more if you put too much on the pizza it'll take longer to cook and and the dough gets soggy and then it's not a nice pizza anymore just a very light skim of pizza uh, pizza sauce a little bit of cheese and a little few toppings goes a long way and salads are always a nice accompaniment for uh, pizza and some of those other dishes that you talked about yeah absolutely you can cross over you can have salad there that the kids can have with their pizza and you can have salad that the adults can enjoy with their main course and I suppose the way salads everyone's favourites are the coleslaws potato salads things that they're comfort salads that we all like to enjoy and please do have them but I think keeping salads simple and healthy is um, it's, it's quite feasible at home three ingredients there's many many salads that just take three ingredients um, something very simple that kids enjoy as equally as adults is you know, um, pasta pesto and pine nut the three peas those three things go really well together buy the nice tricolour pasta the little spirally one if you sell it so you can make that the night before have um, some pesto and pine nuts with it you could make a nice noodle salad add in some mango and perhaps a herb something like coriander and if you're mixing just mixed greens what's a nice touch at last to any salad is adding fresh herbs it's something that people notice at the end when they've eaten it and they're like oh there was something different about this what is it and you're keeping things very simple and all you're doing is combining you know, normal everyday products. There's a really nice salad as well. It's quite simple in the summertime. Uh, watermelon, feta and mint. Again, three ingredients. You're including a fruit, a cheese and a herb. And, and it's I simple it's and it's like classy. That. They do because they think it's nearly dessert. But it's, you know, and it's not. It's, you know, it's, it's a crossover between something that's, it is savoury. But it's, it's, quite, it's quite an interesting salad. And it's something that the adults, and you said, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you have to cater to all tastes. And maybe the watermelon fit and mint is not to everybody's taste. But from my experience, once people try it, they're like, you know, they can be, they're converted. It's, it's something new to them. So, but don't try all your dishes. Don't have new dishes for each course you know you have to stick to a few all reliables and only introduce one or two little new ideas and speaking of desserts then what would you suggest to finish it all off I think every family has their own family recipes for either their trifles or their banoffee pies or you know what if you want to help yourself out and I, I see a lot of families helping each other where they they ask each other to bring dessert you know it's like potluck you know if, if there's if there's a good baker in the family or if there's someone that makes a really nice apple tart or someone else you know it, it, I think people like to come to your house with something and it's nice if you just say look wouldn't it be lovely if you make a your you know can you bring the apple pie and or just say to each family can you bring your kind of signature dessert item and it's a nice talking point at the end of the meal you know it's everybody can swap stories of growing up and when grandma used to make that apple pie or the rhubarb pie the way it was made you know so there's i think that's a nice thing to do because communions are family occasions and i think we lose a lot of our family recipes so it's it's an idea it's something to do it's stress-free as well and it's it's less work for you to in the kitchen and often there would be a celebration cake which can double up as a dessert as well if you go for the chocolate absolutely and i think one thing that people do is they buy maybe too much food like if you are buying a celebration cake and you have other desserts you know just be mindful the, the celebration cake doesn't have to be big enough to feed everybody if you have other desserts there too similarly when you think about the other items you know for main courses and things like that if you if you are, if you do want to cook two or three items for people, if you want to have salmon and you want to have chicken, you know, don't cook ten portions. If you have twenty guests, don't cook twenty portions of salmon and twenty portions of the other. It's uh, I find that there can be a lot of waste, and we overestimate, um, or sorry, maybe we underestimate how much food our guests will eat. And it's always nice then to send people home with something for their their supper, depending on the time, or for their lunch the next day, and that kind of can reduce then the the food waste side. Absolutely, of it. yeah. And if all else fails, Brandon, then bring in the caterers. Pick up the phone, talk to me. BBQJoes.ie.
Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks to Brandon of Barbecue Joe's for that great advice when it comes to catering at home. Still to come tonight, Chef David O'Donnell from the Argelon Hotel has a delicious orange cake recipe for us, which could be perfect for that special occasion. And I'll be talking to Chef Connor McClelland from Rayan House in Northern Ireland about their Titanic menu. Lots of chefs on the show tonight, it would seem. However, my next guest is a regular here on the programme. Dee Laffin is an esteemed food writer and journalist and tonight she's on the phone to tell us about her recent trip to Berlin. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Dee, thanks for joining me this evening. Thanks for having me, Sharon. You're going to tell us all about a recent trip that you made to Berlin. Yeah, um, well, I'm very fortunate that my brother is um, living there and has been for the past few years, but also we both share a love of food and he's a chef, in fact. So uh, when I go over to visit him, it's always nice. He'll kind of have planned to, you know, go out and try some new places or um, just go to a new food market or something like that. But this time when I was over there, we really kind of made an effort to do that. Sometimes in the past when I've been over, we've done some touristy things. But this time it was really um, more, we'd actually planned where we were going to go and he'd, he'd thought of some new places he wanted to try out. And I was just really, I just overwhelmed and just, you know, every corner we went to, it was just somewhere new. And I just was really impressed and, and um, overwhelmed, as I said, by what's kind of going on in the food scene over there. And I suppose when people, the first thing to kind of note about Berlin is that um, it doesn't really have a city centre as such. I don't know if you've ever been there yourself, Sharon, um, but it, it's kind of like Dublin has a definitive city centre um, or like other kind of cities in Ireland. But Berlin is kind of almost has loads of different sections and each one has its own centre. So the first thing to note is that when you go to Berlin to make sure you don't stick with the same the the, the same section that you're staying in, maybe to, you know, ask um about other other areas that you can visit. And when you do go to those other areas you will find the centre of those where there are just a hub of restaurants and cafes and things like that. And all each area in Berlin City has its own um, style and its own kind of even atmosphere. So some of them are very trendy and more. There is a section which kind of is classified as the city city centre where Brandenburg Gate is, and there'd be a lot more touristy restaurants around there, and you know they'd be a bit more expensive and kind of like you know in any city there's 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 specific restaurants that are targeted towards tourists, so you can eat any type of cuisine and that sort of thing. But if you go to some other ones, then, you know, there might be one that's a bit more um, kind of like, say, like the hipster kind of, um, you know, almost trend of that's around, you know, so it'll be all kind of the restaurants and cafes will be in buildings that are a bit shabby. You know, maybe they're kind of just been renovated, but they look like they're just pop up restaurants and, you know, exposed brick and there's graffiti on the outside of the building and, you know, all this sort of stuff and very trendy looking people kind of eating there but when you go in you know the food is really incredible but very simple um and then in the in another area you could find that there's a lot of um more bars and cafes um and you know a lot of sandwiches and kind of a specific type of cuisine so um but generally in berlin um there's a real diverse um culture of people living there kind of like the way Dublin is now with just mix mix and mash of loads of different uh, people and that's really brought with it a lot of different cuisines that haven't been in maybe Berlin or Germany before I think the Germans tend to really stick to what they like and it, it's kind of in other cities you'd find they're very German you know cities compared to Berlin um, which is so much more diverse so the food reflects that and I found myself, my brother lives in an area called, excuse my, for anyone listening who speaks German, my uh, pronunciation, but it's Neukölln. And Neukölln is um, basically, it's, there's an area in it called, or a place in it that people might be familiar with called Tempelhof. And Tempelhof used to be Hitler's um, airport. And it was closed down and now it's just this, um, massive, if you can imagine all the runways and all the greens around it, you can just go and walk there. It's like a, a central spot, like Phoenix Park or something. 
um, for or you know Air Square or whatever, just for people to go and you know play frisbee or walk their dogs or go jogging and that sort of thing. So that's in Noycon, and then all around that area there, there are loads of new cafes and restaurants opening up. One of them I went to, um, it was like a a vinyl a vinyl record shop, and it was really cool because you walked in, and very young people own it and run it. Um, very simple design. And they had just actually sell vinyl records in there. They play them in there, but then you can also get food in there. And it's just really nice. But the food is really well done. Things like kind of um, pita breads with, um, you know, vegetables and, and salad in it, um, maybe some hummus. Um, they also do kind of, you know, obviously they're, they have a lot of different kinds of meats and, and sam- for sandwich meats that, than what we would have here with a very kind of specific German flavor to them. So you get lots of that kind of thing and cheeses. Um, and then there was another one, actually one I really loved, I'd love if they had here, is um, a place for brunch that you go to, and it was called Engels, like E-N-G-E-L-S. Um, and basically you go in, and it's like an all-you-can-eat brunch, and you pay €10.50. Euros 50 and I, have, I mean, I have photographs of this buffet table, but it's the biggest buffet breakfast I have ever seen in my life it was everything on it from eggs done so many different ways to breads loads of different breads you know butter preserves chutneys then things like pickles and peppers and jalapenos and pickled onions and then you know uh, omelets and quiches and it just went on and on there was meats and you know you just and then they had a hot section of bain-maries with like um, meatballs and rashers and sausages and um, obviously they're more like verse like the German sausages um, but it was just incredible I mean and that was all for 10.50 and it was all you can eat um, and was it jam packed very busy and buzzy like, I mean it was busy but you know it wasn't like we walked in there was tables there and it was really again just a lovely place like really chilled out relaxed like young people working there um, and just everyone was so friendly and so nice and so polite and it wasn't now it was busy and it it is does tend to be one of the busier spots I think actually maybe the reason just thinking about that when you asked me that if we had gone there maybe like no more in any city in Ireland if we'd gone there on a Sunday morning it might you know that's a real brunch day isn't it so I think we were actually there on a on a Saturday morning so maybe there were still some people working um and the other thing about Germany and Berlin as well is that um Sundays um, are really um, like nobody works on Sundays. I'm not saying nobody, but hardly anybody works on Sundays because all of the shops are closed. Um, and they really honour Sundays and they like to spend this with their families. So it is a big day for things like brunch and lunch and dinner and eating out. And you'd find a lot of people out um, dining out, but also even in the parks like Templehof and places like that in Neukölln they'd be out having barbecues and things like that because it doesn't rain a lot in Berlin. So <clears throat> even if it is a little bit chillier than in the summer, you know, there's still people out taking advantage of the weather. You obviously thought it was great value for money, the food. Oh, amazing value for money. Like, I mean, really, everywhere you go, the portion sizes are amazing. And, you know, everyone's... Like, it's very easy to kind of live and eat there, you know, in terms of speaking to people. They, a lot of them speak English, even if you try to speak German they're very they'll speak back to you in English they're very friendly but the value is really good I mean like you can pay for dinner you know it would be a main course would be maybe 12 euros or something I mean you can pay you know again like I was saying the different areas you can go to the more touristy areas and no more than if you're in Temple Bar or something like that in Dublin like you'll pay the 20 something euros for um you know, a, a main course, but there you don't have to at all. I mean, and there are a lot of places where they have set menus and things like that. And I think that really adds to the value as well. Plus the other thing that's really cheap or cheaper than here is beer and alcohol. I mean, you know, they don't have the same tax that we have on, on wine and things like that. And they have obviously, obviously their own um, selection of beers that are brewed in, in Germany and, and Belgium and Luxembourg so close to them that it's just so much cheaper from that perspective as well. And the one thing people might have to get used to over in there is that um, while there is a smoking ban in Germany, they don't all necessarily um, pay attention to it in Berlin. So you might be in a bar that's 
there's a lot of people smoking in, which is something I had to get used to. And I found really strange because I hadn't been in one in such a long time where people were, were smoking around me. I'm sure that was a bit unpleasant now, whenever we are used to having the fresh yeah, oh, I, I air in the bars. Yeah, I suffocating almost. It was so funny. Just I haven't been abroad in a country where there was a, where there is allow, smoking allowed, you know, that sort of way. So I was, I really found it quite weird. But, um, and then the other thing just to say is that um, I ate in another restaurant, which was really interesting, called um, Sauvage. And Sauvage is the world's first uh, paleo restaurant. For anyone who doesn't know what paleo is, it's a, I suppose, a, a way of eating that people also call it the hunter-gatherer diet or the um, the caveman. Is one of the nicknames it's also been called. But basically, it um, is like where you don't eat grains and you eat like organic meat and vegetables and things like that, that that you would have to hunt or gather. So a lot of foraged foods as well. So this restaurant, Sauvage, is actually owned by these two guys, Boris and Rodrigo, who are actually over for the Galway Food Festival and actually went to hear them um, give a talk about like the restaurant and paleo food and just the type of food that it is. It was amazing. And they also gave a demonstration on uh, Sunday at... Um, on fermentation, which was really interesting as well. But they're lovely guys, and I got to speak with them um, while I was there. They basically opened up the world's first paleo restaurant, and I suppose they were, you know, worried about what people might think, but it has done really well there. And if you didn't know that it was paleo, if you take that aside and you go there, it is just really good, wholesome food. Like, I had beef bourguignon, and for starter, one of the things I had was, um, like, a potted venison, which was absolutely amazing. And they even have a bread that they've made. <clears throat> it's like a paleo bread, which is really excellent as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it's it's testament to them how good the food is. You know, they really take a lot of care and where they source their ingredients from. Um, obviously, it all has to be organic and they have to be, you know, they, they need to know where it comes from and, and all that sort of the provenance of it. Um, even the wine in the restaurant is organic or biodynamic, as they call it. Um, so it's a, it's another brilliant restaurant to go to. It sounds like you had an amazing trip and you definitely would recommend it. Highly recommend it. I mean, I think Berlin is really experiencing what we're experiencing over here. I can't speak about the rest of Germany. I'm not you know, going to, but there is definitely a kind of a, you know, that excitement about food. And there's restaurants and cafes, certainly, especially in my brother's area, which Neue Cullen, which I spent a lot of time in, just opening up all the time. And the diversity of definitely the people that live there is bringing that diversity into the food in the restaurants and the type of places opening up so I really recommend anyone you know there are cheap flights my flights were only about I think 80 something euros return because I booked them in advance you know on their direct flights it's only two and a half hours so I highly recommend this. Well thanks so much for coming on to share your experience with us Dee and we look forward to talking to you next month about whatever you get up to in the next few weeks. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, Barbecue Joe's Brendan O'Connor had great advice for catering at home. And just before the break, I was talking to food writer and journalist Dee Laffin about the food scene in Berlin. Dee mentioned about meeting the owners of Sauvage, the world's first paleo restaurant. And I actually came across the two boys at the Galway Food Festival and had a chat with them, Rodrigo and Boris. So I'll play that in the next week or two. Never fear if you miss some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows. You'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Time now to take you out and about. Galway has been very much to the fore of late with John McKenna citing it as the best city to eat in Ireland. I enjoyed a stay in the Ardalon Hotel recently and when I was there I had the opportunity to sit down with executive chef David O'Donnell. So let's have a listen. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. David, it's lovely to be here in the Argelon in Galway. Thanks for meeting with me. I know it's always very difficult for chefs to try and catch them between services because they're very busy. I read recently that spring is your favourite time of the year. Why is that? Um, because 
Um, it's a case of um, it's in between seasons. It's the start of the new season, like in between winter. Um, everything's starting to bloom and stuff like that. Uh, a, a lot of the groundwork for the summer is done in spring. A lot of the bulbs are growing, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of new life in it, and it's just gets you ready for the, the season like the winter is good as well different stuff like you can have beetroots and you can have uh, kale all that kind of stuff but then in the spring you have your like your the lamb and everything just comes on together like you know so at at this time of the year at during spring do you find that you're spoilt whenever it comes to ingredients um no it's hard it's harder to because it's kind of now at this time of year it's the in between kind of the bare kind of st- stuff because stuff is starting to grow and things like that so you're, you're coming towards the end of the, like say the beetroot all the kale purple sprout and broccoli all that kind of stuff so it, it's a case of you have to kind of think wreck your brains of what's out there that I can use that nobody else is using like I see this year mutton is is big you know like hoggart mutton like is big so at the moment we're using the, the lamb belly and the, and the shoulder on, on the dinner menu so it's a case of now I'm thinking about what I'm going to do in the next menu, which will be the end of April. And tell me about sourcing ingredients and and yeah. local suppliers. You're very pro artisan producers well, and local suppliers. That all started when I was younger, to be honest, because you know I'm from Cork, Cove, by the sea, the fish, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you know the English market, you go into the English market in Cork and you, you just walk around, you can get lost for hours. Um, and then you just get a love of food. So then, like, I worked in Longville House and then, like, William... He's the chef owner, he kind of, they grow, I would say, everything, 90% of their vegetables at Longville and they have their own lamb and pigs and stuff like that. And you're taught to use from what you have from the land and stuff like that and say, like, you know, the people with the game when it comes in season, they'll come past the door and stuff like that, or foragers and things like that. Um, when I was in America, it was the same thing. You'd have people passing by uh, with mushrooms, stuff like that, and you'd have to go down to Boston See, they didn't get any suppliers coming to the door. You had to go source your own su- supplies. So you went to all the markets in Boston and stuff like that, to the vegetable, the fish, the meat. Um, and then, like, when I worked in France, it's a case of you went to the markets or you went every morning to go to the next town or the biggest town to, to buy your stuff. So it, it, you get into the mindset that it's, it's, you have to think outside the box. So, like... I don't think the west of Ireland is is promoted enough in the sense of what what people what they have like they have the fish probably better fish than the east coast to be honest you know like I'm from Cork you go west Cork all the way up to Rossville to Donegal it's 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 alive with fish um, then you have like the the black faced lamb and ackle you have it in Connemara you have it you know it, it's different it's mountain lamb it's a different flavour um, then by the sea it depends on where you're going to get it it's it's a case of like the cheese, we use cheese from the Iron Islands. The flavour is different because of the sea. Is again, you know. But since I got into Twitter, it's easier to source suppliers. To be honest, um, you just send them a message and see if you can use them and have a chat with them and see what they do. You get the samples. Whereas the bigger companies, it's you don't get samples. You know, it's kind of the artisan field. You deal with the the, the producers more. You get to know what they're doing and what's coming in season for them. Like you know, like goats. Now they have the, the goat's milk, so the cheese has been produced, or the yogurt, or stuff like that. And then the lamb, spring lamb is coming in, but you might necessarily use it till, say, June, July. But at least you're getting in with all the suppliers. Um, like we use mushrooms from Cork, from Ballyhora Mountain Mushrooms. Um, like we can buy mushrooms, but they're not the same quality. Um, that doesn't say I won't use from, say, France or somewhere like that, but it's better to use local, uh, the vegetables as well. Um, we use one big company, but we use a smaller company called Burks, and they source other stuff around the country for us. Like whether it's in um, usually around the west or stuff like that, you know. But like we have uh, Carol Microgreens, Rory, uh, he grows his own microgreens in Galway. So there, it's it's all kind of local. Um, so that's a lot of local suppliers yeah, yeah, that you yeah, use yeah. and and artisan yeah, food yeah. producers. When you said about growing up in Cove there and spending time in the English market, yeah. do you have family members that would really have influenced your um, your love of cooking? Yeah, well, well, my grandmother in Cork, she was always you know it's a case of they always she was always using the tripe and the drishin. She would have mackerel on the table or whatever fish because by the sea. Then they had their own vegetable garden. 
so that she she juice from the garden. Then she would have like say a chicken on that was cooked from the day before, using the bones for a stock to make a soup and all that kind of stuff. Uh, she would always do. She was good at baking. She was really a good uh, cook. If she was a chef now, she'd be one of. The, uh, she would be a top chef. It's just different times. Then my, on my father's side, my grandmother like they were farmers from Turnagee outside Ackle. Um, so they were made the box tea, the, the soda cakes, you know, all that kind of stuff. But they had a really, really big vegetable garden as well. It was a pride and joy. Um, so it's a case of they had their onions, their potatoes, all their carrots were fresh. Then, say, like they, they had cows, they had lamb, they had chickens, you know, so they'd use it all. And um, the milk, even the milk to make buttermilk and, and butter itself, you know, and stuff like that. It, it's like I used to go, I spent most, of, I'd say from around 12 to 18 or 16 I would say I would spend most of the summer in, in Ackle up by Ackle like so I, I was able to like say you know the blackberries were out or they had rhubarb you'd make tarts or stuff like that you'd have because they were drawing the hay or drawing the turf and cutting the turf and they did the hay and stuff like that you'd get involved so the meals were hearty whereas in Cork it's kind of a bit of more finesse because my grandmother she could she made Chelsea buns all that kind of stuff you know different cakes if you went in there was always a cake there was no nothing bought bought in so to speak so it's a case of that's where it really came from and what age were you when you discovered that you had a real passion and flair for for food oh, and decided I'd, that you wanted to to make your career in that area oh i'd say that was quite young to be honest yeah i'd say about six or seven at least i remember going into competition um i think it was the ica were having a competition when i was about nine or something like that and it was for the juniors now. I had won it like because it was cakes and stuff. But that was down to my mother, and my grandmother, like helping out and showing you what to do. So I would say at the mindset, it was kind of pastry chef I wanted to be, and I am a trained pastry chef as well. But that I did, I, f- I fell out of it because of the love and the passion for food that I have. Um, like I've worked for William and Longville, um, then I've worked for Peter Brennan when he was in Mont Juliet. I've gone to France, you know, to over to Pierre de Terre in Chateaubriand. I went to America to White Barn in, in the Kenny Bunkport in Maine. Um, and like you you know you'd ring up and you'd you get your lobsters freshly delivered in the morning, stuff like that. You'd make your raviolis, everything. It was, you know, high quality. Um, like mostly the like I was working in the heritage of Kilnard. I came back from America to to work there. Um, and then I left there to go to Nakrani. So it's a case of when I when I I think about what I want to do next, you know, I, I don't drop into something. It's easy. you have to plan it. So I've started from the country house, and I've moved up and moved out, you know, on what I can do and stuff like that. Um, it's a case of you have to think about what you want to do. Do you feel it's important for chefs to travel and get experience in different countries, yeah, different say, cultures? Yeah, seventy percent of my cooking is the, has been in in, in Ireland, but. You know, it's 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 in the really good places like country house hotels, golf resorts like Mount Juliet and stuff like that. Um, and then, like you know, I worked in Dunraven Arms for a bit as well. You know, I worked in McCreddon Village. You know, at the Brook Lodge, organic. So, and then I, I did a stage in Amer- in in France for nine months. So after that, I came back. And then when I was in um, Mount Juliet again, I left there to go to America to the White Barn Inn. So it is important if you go too young. Sometimes you can go too young and, and miss the sense of what it's all about. You know, um, it's down to passion as well. I think your time in France has had a profound effect yeah, on you. Yeah. Between the patisseries that I see here on the on the afternoon tea um, menu, but also that I've read that your your one of your favourite dishes or foods is foie gras. When I was in France, we even went to a foie gras, like to a place where the, the ducks were, or the, the geese were reared and stuff like that. And you see from the, the chicks and how they, they come up and how they produce it, it's not nice, but um, like you have different grades of foie gras as well. You have the A, which is the best. Like, you know, when I was in America, the foie gras from Quebec and the foie gras from France is totally different. The French one is, is far superior, you know, even though Quebec is considered France, you know, but... Um, it, it's just it's the taste of it is amazing like you know it's the nutty kind of fatty taste but it, it's it's just when it's pan seared and stuff like that it's good there's nothing better like you know but then again you can have a cold in terrines or, or whatever else 
Well, I'm not surprised now that you've chosen a lovely cake for yeah. um, the listeners' yeah. recipe for them. Tell me what it's called. Um, it's spiced orange cake. It's actually um, from Tom Kettridge. Uh, we use a lot of, um, I have a, a lot of uh, cookery books. And so you have to do your research and use what other people are doing as well and, and modify it slightly, you know. Um, so basically it's, it's, it's one we use on the, the bistro menu at the moment. It's, it's easy to make. Um, you have three oranges and you boil them for, in water in the medium pot for about two hours until they're soft and tender. And you cut them in half or quarters. You take the pit out and you put it into a food processor and blend it till it's a puree. And you just pass it into a sieve. Then that's the skin and everything. Skin the whole lot, and you just the reason why you pass it is because there the could be seeds in it or stuff like that. You just leave it cold. cold you weigh it out to about 450 grams, and after that, then you um, that's your base for the cake. So you have to do it in advance. So you get uh, say a 24 inch uh, round cake tin. You butter it and you line it with paper, um, and then you have about 300 grams of almonds, 300 grams of caster sugar, seven eggs two teaspoons of baking powder, a teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and a teaspoon of ground ginger. And you can combine everything in a food processor. It's a batter mix. So you just combine the whole lot together and you mix it till it's uh, puree, like mixed. And then you just pour it into the cake tin and you cook it for one hour at 180 degrees. Um, and then when the top of it starts to go golden brown, you can just put a sheet of tin foil over it just to stop it getting more brown you know so there's no worries about opening the oven no, in the middle of it to do that it won't back. sink no, no, or anything it doesn't fall back um, it does fall back after when it's cooked it just sinks a bit but that's it you know it's a moist cake it's 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 uh, it's like I've cooked for Hector before and he, he likes it you know it's one of his ones that he likes you know um, I do a few cookery demos for the meat supplier and stuff like that and he comes out you know for them and he, he likes it you know I did that and for Audi there in the summer or in the winter there, so it's it's a case of you have to find what pe- what's in that's old school cooking, you know that's it, it's you have the cinnamon, it's spiced, you have the ginger, the orange, it all goes together with the almonds, and it's celiac free as well, so it's celiac, so it's flour free, and it sounds very yeah. simple to make. Yeah, um, you can have other stuff like we put a a poached clementine with it in the bistro. We we poach it for about. 20 minutes till it's soft and it's like syrup and then when it's cold we cut it in half and we we put sugar on top and we uh, with the blowtorch we caramelise the top of it you know and we use the syrup as well and we make a cheesecake foam which is a grand marnier cheesecake foam and we put it into a uh, cream whipper it's just all the raw mix and you, you shake it and it just comes out like cream so um, it all goes together we do a cinnamon mascarpone as well but it's just basically is a mascarpone cream Castor sugar and cinnamon, you whisk it all together like you whipped cream and it's done. David, it sounds lovely. I must nip down now for a cup of coffee and something nice like that to go with it. Thanks so much for talking to me today. No worries. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I shared my chat with Chef David O'Donnell at the Ardalon Hotel with you. My thanks to David and all his team for a wonderful stay. I must confess to indulging in that afternoon tea and I also had dinner in the bistro and they were both superb. I'd highly recommend it if you're planning to visit Galway at some stage. Now we're heading back over to the phone to talk to my next guest. Tomorrow marks the anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic and if you're curious about what some of the passengers would have dined on whilst on board. Chef Connor McClelland from Rayan House in County Down can enlighten you as he has designed a nine-course taste of Titanic feast. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Connor, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Hello, thank you very much for having me. And you have a very unusual menu there in Rayan House in County Down. It's based on a menu that was served on the Titanic. Yes, in fact, it is the last meal, the very last meal that was served on the final night on the Titanic to the first-class passengers. It was one of only a few menus that actually survived, um, you know, from the, from the tragedy of the Titanic. Um, pretty much all paper was was uh, destroyed in that sense, but a few of the passengers that actually survived had taken a copy with them uh, in their pockets that evening. 
and those were the ones that survived, believe it or not. But we try not to uh, to dwell on the on the, the you know the unfortunate side of the Titanic and celebrate really, you know, the ship itself and uh, and the food that was on board, uh, which has been a phenomenal success for ourselves here at Ryan House. It's an amazing idea to come up with something like that and people might think that you decided to do it to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the, the sinking of the ship but in actual fact you were well ahead of, of your time. Yes, in fact it's a funny sort of story. We, we had come up with the idea, my wife Bernie uh, had come up with the idea about two or three years prior to the, the centenary anniversary um, and we we'd thought we'd maybe try and do a couple of nights. So I'd had this Titanic book that was knocking around. It knocked about the kitchen for years and was put from pillar to post. Um, and I finally got my, my, my act together and we thought we'll do one or two nights and we, we'll see if there's any, really any interest in it. Uh, we did a little press release. It was I remember it was Good Friday, actually. We did a press release uh, thinking, well, perhaps it could be a slow news day. We'll see if somebody picks it up. And we were due to head off to Donegal with the kids. So we did a little press release, packed the car, the kids in the car, and off we headed to Donegal. And we were about an hour out of Belfast, and uh, the phone started going. Uh, wanting to do interviews. I, I pulled over at the side of the road, did a couple of interviews on the side of the road. We eventually made it to Donegal and the phone went again and it was CNN to say, where are you? And I said, I'm in Donegal. And I said, well, we're at your front door. I'm like, my goodness, I had to pack the kids back in the car and back we came. And and really from then it has just taken off, even that following morning with GMTV. And I mean, since that we've... Um, We've had the one show, Jay Rayner came and actually did the whole the whole works as well for for a program on the one show. And then we've also taken it on on the road. We were over in LA a couple of years ago, did it for the LA Times travel show and for Tourism Ireland at the Russell Hotel in London and at the Olympics. Um, at the media centre at the Olympics, whenever the Olympics were in London. So it really has been something that's sort of just taken on a life of its own. So you were very surprised that it it caused as much of a stir as it as it oh, did? Oh, absolutely. Well, I knew, I knew the food was good. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of had a couple of dummy runs, and it's such a classic menu that I knew that anybody would come and experience the food would really enjoy it. It really is classic. You know, there's, there's no gimmicks to it. It's real big flavours. And like I said, very classic flavours, but it eats very well. Um, but yes, like you say, it sort of did take us absolutely by surprise. And even the longevity of it, um, in the sense the the anniversary obviously was a very big year, the centenary anniversary. And I thought, well, perhaps that would be its peak. But, um, you know, believe it or not, actually, when we do, we have one coming next Saturday and I've had a waiting list for the last two or three months for, for next Saturday. So, um, you know, it's, in fact, it's probably more popular now than ever, to be quite honest. Are the diners Northern Irish, English, American? We don't have a large dining room. Uh, Ryan, I'm pretty much a one-man show kitchen. Um, uh, so we know we can maybe seat up to around between 20 and 30. Um, for the Titanic, but on, on any given night, you will have a few locals in the tables. You will have people from Australia, the States, Europe, really from down south, from everywhere. Really, it's it's very it's a very enjoyable night. You know, in the sense we sort of build a little storytelling around the whole package as well. We've done up little booklets that go through each course as you're having it, and different facts and figures, and then the history of the food that was on board too. Well, let's talk about the food itself. There's nine courses, and the first course is canapes. Yeah, no, the original menu was 11 courses, um, and I have narrowed it to nine. I married two courses together that I thought worked well, and one course I lost. There was a foie gras terrine course that came in after the, after the main course. But the nine courses, yes, we start with canopies, and they would have either been, they would have varied on a nightly basis. And they would have the canop- canopies basically from the Admiral in the sense that it was his sort of choice of the canopies in an evening. Um, and I would sort of either do a, a classic, which was um, Russian um, oysters, um, or a baked scallop in the shell with garlic and herbs and top with um, breadcrumbs. And that would sort of generally be the, the canopies on, on board. And we would follow that then with a second course, which was a cream of barley soup. Which we have, um, we flood the top of the soup with um, Bushmills whiskey again. We know that Bushmills was was on board. It was uh, on the inventory, and it just gives a nice little local kick to to that course. So it was cream of barley soup with um, Bushmills whiskey and cream. And then the the third course is the course that I've married together. They had a separate asparagus grilled asparagus course, and that was followed by a roasted squab course. And, and I've married the two of those together. So you have the asparagus and squab, and that was served with a saffron and champagne vinaigrette, very decadent. Um, 
uh, but it's a very subtle sort of uh, vinaigrette that works very well with, with the both courses married together. And then hopefully you'll be still hungry at this stage. You have then poached salmon, and again, we we poached the salmon. It was an old recipe from um, from Escoffier a while back. He was like you know the inspirational chef at the time, you know, throughout the world. Really, he was you know a very well-renowned chef. And again, it was a recipe, a real rich bouillon that um, we would um, poach the salmon, very lightly poach the salmon, in, and it's a lot of wine in it, um, really some nice aromatics in, in that stock as well. And that's served with the mousseline sauce, uh, which is basically a, uh, like a hollandaise sauce. And at the end, we whip in some uh, cream that just makes it a little lighter uh, with some fresh dill, and that was served with a cucumber salad. Then rose water and mint sorbet to cleanse the palate. Again, that's quite a throwback to um, Victorian times. Rose water was used widely by the Victorians, and it's a sort of a, a flavour that we wouldn't see so much now, but was very, very popular back then. And then the big course was the filet mignon, and they're fully real classic dish. It's filet mignon with um, topped with foie gras, fresh truffles, and that's served with uh, you know quite a rich sauce with a reduction of cognac, Madeira, red wine. And that's served with potatoes and creamed carrots and uh, stuffed zucchinis or stuffed courgettes. And then the seventh course, we have um, spiced peaches. Uh, again, fresh peaches poached in cinnamon cloves. Nice, again, aromatic spices. And that's served with a chartreuse jelly. Again, chartreuse, if you can imagine, uh, sort of the, the days of the absinthe ladies from Paris and stuff like that. It was, again, a, a very, very popular drink. Um, for Victorians um, back in those days, and it's quite a strong flavoured jelly, um, but it works very well with them um, with the poached peaches, and that's served with um, homemade French vanilla ice cream. And then they finished off most of the meals. Actually, every evening, evening they were finished the, the main court, their main evening with um, cheese, fresh cheeses, fruits, um, and they then washed that down with plenty of cognac. So, uh, so it's quite it's quite a nice meal. You know, it, it's a very classic. There's no no gimmicks to it, like I say, but just really good flavours, and it just eats very well. So I think in, in itself, that's been the test, and um, why it still remains very very popular. And you finish it off then with coffee and petty with four. coffee and petty fours, homemade petty fours as well. Yeah. And it really takes around three and a half to four hours to get through it. You don't offer this every week. It's is it once no, a month? No, it's a, well, it's it's quite a classic menu, and we you know with Rayon here, we have other other functions and things. So we try and we try and maybe keep it now at least once a month. Um, uh, quite often it would be two, you know, twice a month as well. Or you can have it for a private party where you can book the restaurant out, which is becoming very popular as well. Even corporate would even have it midweek, you know, if they're entertaining foreign guests again. It's just something very unique to hear. Um, well, it sounds absolutely wonderful and definitely one that I'm putting on my list for at some stage this year, whenever I'm up, I'll have to coincide a visit north indeed. with a date that you're, you have it You'd on. You're very welcome. If people want to find out more, what's your web address? It's rayannhouse.com. Connor, it's been lovely to talk to you this evening and continued success with indeed. it. Indeed, thank you very much indeed for your time. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for your company and to all of tonight's guests, Brendan O'Connor, Dee Laffin, David O'Donnell and Connor McClelland. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show if you missed any of the show tonight. Next week, Ron Forrestal is set to return with his wine slot. So until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.